expanding the table looks like this. Relationships would be deepened. Barriers of age, race, gender would be broken. Invitations to the table would be endless. Lives would be transformed by the love of Christ. Welcome to week one of our vision series, Expanding the Table for the Glory of God 2020. We're excited about that. We're the, the next three weeks, we're going to unpack and refresh the vision that God has given uh, the elders and pastors here at Millington. Uh, if you're new to us, we like to use this language of the table uh, because this is an image that we find to describe fellowship with God so often throughout the Bible. If you were here last week at the very tail end of our series through the seven churches of Revelation, you might remember the table came up at the very end end of that series. Take a look at Revelation 3 verse uh, 20 again. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Once again, we see that this image of the table communicates something that God wanted to communicate to us. Out of all the word pictures God could have chosen uh, to give us to uh, celebrate the work of Jesus on our behalf, the, the symbol he chose was the table. Out of all the symbols that he could have chosen to describe what it will be like when he returns again as king, uh, the image that he chose was the image of a banqueting table. Uh, the, the gospel is symbolized by this image of a table uh, describing a fellowship with God. And there's just something about the table that describes the heart of God and the message of God and the gospel of God. And so that's our vision here. We want to expand the table for the glory of God. This will be a three-week series. In the first week today, we're just going to talk about finding your seat at the table. Uh, and then week two, Pastor Bob's going to talk about overcoming the difficulties of inviting others to the table. And then the third Sunday is a vision Sunday where we're going to talk about what the elders uh, and leaders here uh, see in our future in the year 2020. That's going to be a great uh, weekend. You don't want to miss that. Very exciting things happening uh, here at MBC. So that's kind of where we're headed. If you've been here for a while, there will be new things for you. And if you're just kind of checking out Millington, uh, what a great time to visit our church and see what we're all about during this vision series. Uh, so before we dig in, uh, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment, humbling ourselves before you. Uh, Father, I thank you for this invitation to your table. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying in our place for our sins to secure us a seat at your table. And now, Spirit of the living God, would you form us into the people you want us to be, to use our church now and in the years to come, to be this rich place of fellowship with you and with your people. I pray this for Christ's sake, for his reputation. And all God's people said, amen. 
when you think about choosing a church and whether or not you want to be part of a church, uh, you would want to look at their vision. And when you think about their vision, I think of it as uh, checking things out in the same way that maybe you might decide whether or not you want to enter into a swimming pool. Uh, when I enter into a swimming pool, usually there's three stages, toe in, wade in, and dive in. Stage one, I stick my toe in the water, right? You're going to determine whether or not this is a good idea, and uh, you're considering it. You're there. You're not yet committed whatsoever. Uh, stage two is, is wade in. Based on the information that my brain got from my toe, I will make the decision whether or not to uh, continue with this swimming pool. It's up to my waist at this point. I'm in the pool, but I'm not yet swimming, right? And then stage three is diving in. I decide, I make a commitment, I dive in, and I'm going to immerse myself and actually begin to swim, which was the point of beginning this little exercise in the first place, right? Toe in, wade in, and then dive in. Now, this parallels a lot of different things that we do in our lives. Uh, whatever it is we like to do, whether it's trying out a new hobby or uh, tasting a different kind of career or even choosing something simple like a new gym, whatever we try, we human beings like to do so gradually. Toe in, wade in, dive in. So my question today, this morning, is a spiritual one. Where are you in your relationship with God? Some of you, maybe today, you're sticking your toe in the water. You're asking questions, you're figuring things out, and, and you've come here kind of in a discovery phase, and you can take as long as you need to, and we hope that we can answer those questions that you have. Others of you have kind of waded into the pool. Uh, you may be participating a little bit in the life of our church, and you're involved here a little bit, maybe serving, or uh, maybe you're in a group or something like that. And then some of you, you've, you've dived in. You, you've become a member of, of Millington, and you're wondering, okay, well, what's next? What's the next challenge? What's the next mountain? What's the next hill that we're going to conquer? That's what we want to talk about in this series. But first, I have to tell you a little bit about our story. Millington Baptist Church was founded in 1851, 150-plus years ago, and it was founded during a major revival that occurred in this area during the Second Great Awakening at Mount Bethel Baptist Church in Warren, New Jersey. I know that story because I've read the history book here, but I also know that story because I served as the pastor of that church for about eight years, and so I'm very familiar with the revival that occurred there as well. Back during that time, about 80 people from that church were sent up here to Millington Baptist to, to plant our church. Uh, it began during a very fresh move of God that was sweeping not just this area, but the entire country. Many people don't realize that a lot of the great spiritual revivals in the 17 and 1800s actually occurred right here in New Jersey. Uh, they, they named the city Newark, Newark, because of the move of God that was occurring there in Newark. People are like, Newark? Yeah, Newark. <laughs> New Providence. There was such a great revival there that was so packed that the balcony collapsed and no one was hurt at all. And they said, that has to be by the providence of God. We're renaming the town. Right here in Basking Ridge, the great George Whitfield preached right down the road, started a sweeping revival that not only transformed this town, but the entire nation. Millington began during one of these revivals in 1851. It was planted and it began to grow very, very rapidly. Uh, God was moving, people were coming, people were getting saved, people were getting baptized. This was in the beginning of the Sunday school movement, and so there was kids' ministries and all kinds of things happening. 
One, one of my favorite things to do here as uh, one of your pastors for the last couple of years was, was talking to uh, one of our dear saints who's now passed on into the loving arms of Jesus, Barbara Zellman. And she would tell me, because she'd been here for the last 89 years, the different phases of the work of God and what he's been doing over the last few number of decades at our, at our church. And she, one time she said, you know, Pastor Dave, I actually have some reel-to-reel footage of uh, Millington and what we were celebrating uh, back in 1951 when they did the 100th anniversary service and they were explaining what God had done already. I said, you have what? Can you get me that? I will take very good care of it, but I have a, a digital transfer thing and I just want to make a digital copy of that and I'll give it right back to you. And she said, sure. So, so she brought that in. I actually brought some of that footage with me this morning just to give you a little taste of what things were like back in 1951. Would you just play a little clip of that right now so we can just kind of get a feel for how things were, and it's just one more slide over, and you'll see some of the footage here from 1951 as they celebrated 100 years. Now notice, notice the hats, and, and I also want you to notice um, how well-dressed these men were back then, and I want you to notice some of the cars that you see in the background as people are pouring out of the old sanctuary, celebrating and worshiping God for all that he had been doing. Barbara would just point out each of these people's names, and then when we got to her uh, in her early 20s, I'm like, that's you? And it was just so cool to go through this footage uh, together, and there's more, but I just got you a little snippet there, just to kind of give you a taste of what it was like in 1951. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, God was at work mightily in the early 1900s here at Millington. The stories are all in the history book. It was clear that this, this church stands on the shoulders of spiritual giants. We're this, this lighthouse in this community right here on, on the corner. That's important for us to know. Psalm 145 verse 4 says this, One generation proclaims the Lord's works to another. They tell of his mighty acts. And so it's very important for us to know what has occurred here. Not, not, not long after that footage, uh, the church began to experience another season of, of growth where they decided to build a new sanctuary building to sustain the growth in the 60s and 70s under a pastor named Carl Abrahamson. That's the room, of course, that we're sitting in uh, today. Now, in the more recent past, I'll never forget the day that one of our church members said, Pastor, we're so glad that you're here. Now that you're here, you really need to read one of the history books that's in the safe. I said, well, I've read the normal history book. What are you talking about? In the, you got to look in the safe. I'm like, I don't have access to the safe. They don't give me that kind of... So he's like, it's in the safe. Just get somebody to get you that book. So the financial manager gets me this book, and I start reading about what God had done in the last 10 or 15 years, and I was just absolutely blown away by that history, too. 
See, Millington was experiencing this incredible phase of growth in the 90s under the leadership of a man named Peter Pendell, and there was financial, spiritual, numerical growth happening where the Board of Elders said, we have to do one of three things. Either we have to, number one, relocate and change our location, or, or B, plant a church and start a fresh work of God somewhere else, or three, try to expand the footprint of the current location so that we can sustain the growth. And the crazy thing is if you read that book through a series of God moments, the Lord actually allowed Milling to do, do all three. Uh, the first thing we did was plant a daughter church. Uh, it's called Liquid Church. Uh, it is one of the fastest growing churches in New Jersey. There's now over, over 4,000 members, just an amazing wor work of God there. Uh, secondly, we, we purchased this piece of property, but then after we purchased that, the, the elders and leaders began to feel spiritually redirected and God was allowing the, the appreciation value of that property to go up so that they could then sell it and then reinvest uh, right here on this property and expand the footprint of where we have been really for over 150 years, right here on the corner of King George and Valley Road. It's very clear that God was at work here and we were spiritually following where he wanted us to go. It's a lot of turns and God moments there, but he was in charge. And that's why uh, we began to uh, put together plans for this new building that you see on the other side of campus, the Youth and Family Ministry Building, and we enjoy that so much today. We were only able to do that because of those divine appointments and providential series of events. And if you go in there and you look at the door, you're going to look up and there's a Bible verse there. And it says Psalm 127 verse 1, and of course you're probably familiar with that. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that was a very clear message that the leaders got from the Lord approximately 10 years ago. God's in this. God's redirecting you. You should expand the current footprint of this property. God's not done with you. You need to stay right here. And it was just very clear that God was the one making these decisions. And so the elders you know, submitted and said, okay, that's it. We're going to start to expand the footprint of this campus right here. That's been really Millington's heart for over 150 years to continue to expand God's kingdom and God's table right here. Now, the, the main scriptural passage we use to kind of anchor our vision is found in Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells a parable. It's a famous parable. It's called the parable of the great banquet. I want to remind you of that this morning. Uh, it says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 16. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, when you read a parable, it's always a good idea to ask this question, where am I in the parable? Because I'm usually in there. And then another good question is, where is God in the parable? Because he's usually in there as well. In this parable, clearly, the banquet giver is God. And the banquet meal itself is this, again, this metaphor for fellowship with God and a large celebration of God's people that occurs now and also again at the end of this age when he brings his kingdom, which is really, really, really good news. Now, I really appreciate this because every time I turn on the news at night, all I get is bad news. Every time I get a push notification on my phone, it's bad news. But every time I open up the scripture, I get good news. Every time I open up the Bible, I, I see... God's at work in the story of this world, in the story of our church, and in the story of the gospel, piercing the darkness, bringing his light and his, his life into this world, and a new day is coming, a new world is coming, a new banquet is coming, a new age is coming. This is really good news. You've got to understand this. When Jesus says, this is what my kingdom is like, over and over and over in the gospels, he says, it's like a big party. 
Now, Jesus was Jewish, and they know how to throw a good party, as do most cultures that are surrounding the Mediterranean rim, whether it's the, the, the Italians, the Greeks, the, the Turks. I know. I married into an Italian family. I'm German. I had no idea what a good party was until after I got married. Just stick to the engineering. The Germans have no idea how to throw a good party. But, you know, marrying into the Italian family, there's tons of people and tons of awesome food, and it goes really late into the night, and, and just, you know, it's always like the blowout of all blowouts. You know, let, let me put out some snacks. It's like this huge buffet. It's just they know how to throw a party. Jesus says this, you want to know what my kingdom is like? It's like the greatest party you could ever imagine. You study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, there is so many parties there's so many of his parables that center around a party. You remember the parable of the prodigal son. The son comes home and the dad wants to throw him a what? A party. Remember the first miracle that Jesus ever performs. He performs that at a big party. They had run out of wine and he turns the water into wine, bringing a spirit of rejoicing and celebration and joy. Remember the story of Zacchaeus, the little guy up in the tree. When he came down, what did Jesus say? He said, Zacchaeus, you're a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner, and you're going to hell. No. He said, today we're going to go to your house, man, and we're going to have a party at your place. And it's kind of funny. When Jesus did this kind of thing, they actually accused the Lord of being a friend of sinners and, and, and of being nothing but a wine-bibber and a, and a glutton. And Jesus actually got, a, got frustrated with them. And he said, you know... Here's the thing, guys. John came, John the Baptist came, and he was like dead serious, eating locusts and honey. He was on one of those gluten-free diets, I guess. <laughs> he came preaching fire and brimstone and repentance, and you didn't like him. I come, and I'm hanging out at parties, and you don't like me. You know what I think? You don't really like anybody. There are people in church like that, aren't there? I don't like what's going on here. It's not like it was in the old days. There's always complainers. But Jesus says, I've come as a bridegroom, and my kingdom is good news. We have this gospel of good news. He's coming back, you know, and he's going to return and make all things new. And the work he began in you, he will bring that to completion one day. The great banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Pretty amazing invitation. Now, the only problem here is the people uh, the master originally invites begin to make excuses, lame excuses about not being able to come. And after some people reject this invitation, the master expands the invitation. Look at, look at 22. Uh, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and, and the lame. Now, this is good news as well. And thank God this is his list, not my list, right? Thank God we don't write the invitation list. What a terrible list we would put together. A bunch of religious, pharisaical, do-gooders. We'd have all the wrong people for all the wrong reasons on the list. Jesus says, no, no, no. Go out and get the people who don't deserve it and who, who cannot pay you back and tell them to come in. Now, I want you to see here is that the parable is using physical imagery to describe a spiritual condition. That we, in our, in our sin, in our fallenness, are like poor, crippled, blind, and, and lame people. This is the broken condition we find ourselves in. But the good news of the gospel says, despite my defects, even my moral defects, which rightfully put me on the outside, God, in his grace, has made a way 
for Jesus to die in my place for my sin and secure me a seat at the very table of God. This is good news. This is what the church is here to proclaim. Isaiah chapter 55, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. That's the message of the gospel. That's the food on the table. This is the message of, of grace that we come to the table and we enjoy from our God. So back to the parable. The servant goes out obediently, gives this wide invitation. 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. More good news. There's still room. It reminds me of that old hymn they would sing at the Billy Graham Crusades. Remember that hymn, There's Room at the Cross for You? There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. And for those of us who have already come to the table, we remember how good this news was when we first heard it, right? We have not forgotten, right? We remember at one point we were on the outside and we needed the invitation. And weren't we grateful to get that invitation? There was room at the cross for me and for you. Now the same is true for others. The same good news that was true for me I am now called to offer that same invitation to others. That's what we need, right? I'm convinced that the change our society needs is not going to come from the government. The change our society needs is not going to come from the educational system. The change that our society needs is going to come from the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the good news that the church is here to proclaim. So, okay, verse 23, it says this, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. God wants guests at his table. He says, I want my house to be full. God says, I want my house to be full. My glory, my generosity is going to be on display as you expand my kingdom wider and wider and wider. That's important because some people don't think it's God's will for the church to grow, like it won't keep the doctrine pure or something like that, but that's not really biblical. What's biblical is God saying, I, I want my house to be full. I want to actually expand the borders of my presence so that one day it covers the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. Here in New Jersey, there's 9 million people. There's, there's 300,000 people just here in our county, Somerset County, who need this invitation. We're one of the larger churches in the area, but we're just a drop in the bucket compared to those that are out there that need this invitation, right? There's a lot of streets and roads and country lanes for us to go down and invite people and offer them a seat at this table. The vision of any healthy church, though, begins not with man, but with the glory of God. And so that's an important part of the vision statement, expanding the table for the glory of, of God. If we start at the wrong place, we're going to end up at the wrong place. The, the vision is never about like a pastor being lifted up or a ministry being lifted up. It is about the Lord Jesus being lifted up and the glory of our almighty God, expanding the table for the glory of God. That's, that's our vision. That's where we're headed. Now, is that a difficult vision? Yes. Is that easy? No. Is that a worthwhile vision? Absolutely. 
Our community needs this message. Our country needs this message. With all the divisions and all the polarization out there, our community needs an invitation to God's table. Which brings me to kind of where we are today. Uh, here in the year 2019, I just want to explain a little bit about what's been happening here lately. If you haven't noticed, our attendance trend has been increasing straight for the last two or three years. Uh, this last Easter Sunday was the largest Easter Sunday we've had in recent history. Our kids' ministry has nearly doubled over the last couple of years. Last year's summer adventure was just off the charts big. Financially, our giving is way up year over year. It's 20% up over last year. Virtually every single measurable metric is very encouraging here at Millington. Why am I telling you that? You need to understand that that is not normal. Normal is that in America, 80% of all churches are plateaued or declining. Not just individual churches, sometimes entire denominations closing their doors. Normal is that every year, 3,500 churches dissolve and close for good. New Jersey is one of the more, more spiritually dry places in, in the country, right? I, I mean, we spent eight years living in Dallas, Texas on a hiatus for graduate school. Totally different world. The question was like, what church do you go to? Not like, you know, do, do you go to church? There was a church on every, every corner. But, you know, I grew up here in New Jersey, so I kind of know the culture here. This is a different animal, isn't it? We, we are in what's called a post-Christian culture. Do you know where the American Atheist Association has its headquarters? New Jersey. Why'd they pick our state? Because they know people here are very wary and cynical about religion, now, sometimes for good cause but we got to give them the right message. See, for some reason, God has chosen you and you and you and me to be part of a growing gospel-centered, Christ-centered movement of the Holy Spirit, which kind of brings me into thinking about what's to come. Now, if you've been here for, let's say, 20 years or more, would you just slip your hand up for one second? Just okay. Can we thank those who have been faithful in our church for 20 plus years? Yeah. We are very grateful and are aware of standing on the shoulders of faithful folks. And we want to make a promise to you. Our promise is that we will never compromise on the Word of God and we will never compromise on the gospel. We are close handed about that message. Now, we may be open-handed about some of the methods, but that message is timeless, and it will never change. So that's our promise to you. Secondly, though, I want to say that we need you. There's this really sad verse in the Bible. It's found in Judges chapter 2. Maybe you've read it before. It says this, A new generation grew up who did not know the Lord or had seen what God had done in Israel. Now, that is not good. We need to pass down the faith to the next generation. Ours is a generation that needs this message. Biblical values are not just not being followed. They're being openly mocked in our generation, and Christians are being more and more marginalized. And so we need you to help us make sure that that treasure is passed down to the next generation intact. Now, one of the things about young families that I know is they crave spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. They want someone who has some miles on the odometer to help them spiritually and say, hey... How do you make this marriage work? How, how do you figure out how to raise kids? And, and if you're in your 60s or 70s or, or beyond, please don't fade away. We really need you. God's vision is for the older generation to disciple the younger generation, Titus chapter 2. Find your seat at the table and serve and dive in and use your gift here. God is not done with you yet. 
Now let me talk to those of you who are more recent in our church body. Maybe you're here and you've kind of got your toe in the water, as I said earlier, and you're kind of right now on the sidelines. My encouragement to you is over the next three weeks, think about how you might want to go a little deeper into the pool here. Over the course of this series, Pastor Bob and I are going to gently and kindly nudge you towards finding your seat at the table here at Millington. God has blessed us with some really good spiritual food here, plugging into adult ed programs or small groups or the kind of things that we're doing here. Find a seat at the table and enjoy this rich fare that we have here as spiritual food. Each of us has a unique role to play at the table. You can help impact our community by using your own spiritual gift. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift, and God wants you to use that, not for yourself, but to bless others. The Bible is clear. If you're a Christian, God has given you a gift, and he wants you to use it. Now, how many of you out there today, you're aware of what your spiritual gift is? You've kind of figured this out. You know how God has wired you and has gifted you and and knows. Just, Just put your hands up. That's okay. Very good. Now, how many of you would say, not only are you aware of your spiritual gift, but you're currently right now, you're using it, and yeah, awesome. Very good. Now, there may be some of you who didn't put your hand up that you're not totally sure what that's all about. If you're not sure or you need a refresh on this, there is an opportunity coming up next weekend called our Spiritual Gifts Summit, and you would need to come to this Friday night and Saturday morning. It's going to be a great weekend, awesome event, programs for the whole family. You don't want to miss that. You can sign up online. It's for next weekend to help you discover your spiritual gift or rediscover what your spiritual gift is, helping you find your seat at the table, right? Now, I want you to look at this table over here to my left, and I want you to notice that there are three chairs. And I just want you to think about those three chairs as they represent the past, the present, and the future. And so this middle chair right here, this represents the present. This middle chair represents the chair that you and I are sitting in today. This middle chair represents where we are right now, where we all are. All of us are here, not because we got here all alone. The middle chair is our place where we were invited to be at the table. Some of you may still remember the chair that you sat in when you first came to Millington. Some of you may remember the chair that you were sitting in where God really spoke to you and gave you an encouraging word or God gave you a word of healing or God just spoke to you in a special way or challenged you and you got the direction that you needed because you were confused. You remember where you were seated. That's the middle chair. That's where we all are. Then there's this chair on the right. This chair on the right is, is a reminder to me that somebody came before me. This chair on the right is a reminder to me that somebody made sure that there was a chair for me when I got here. Somebody invited me. Somebody made a place for me. Somebody sacrificed for me. Somebody was made uncomfortable for me. None of us came by ourselves. None of us came to Jesus or Christianity or our church by ourselves. If you can, actually, you can picture not only this chair, but a whole line of chairs going all the way back to the times of the apostles themselves. And each generation had a responsibility to pass on this treasure to the next generation. And then there wasn't one open chair. If there was, if there was even one open chair, then it would have missed uh, getting all the way up to you. And so God always preserves a faithful remnant to continue the message of the gospel. And the right-hand chair reminds us that we stand on their shoulders, and we're grateful for them. Now, the chair on the left, 
Okay, the chair on the left represents the future. The chair on the left, nobody's sitting in here yet. The chair on the left is here uh, because this is the person who's not come here yet. Uh, we want to make sure that there is a chair on the left here at NBC as well. That represents the next generation. Uh, this chair is for the people that aren't here yet, and the scriptures not only encourage us to, to make sure there's a chair there, they command us to make sure there's a chair there. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says to his young protege, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Now, if you notice in that verse, you'll notice that there's three or four generations represented there. You got Paul, that's the first generation. He's saying, you heard these things from me, right? Then you've got Timothy, that's the second generation. And he's being tasked with entrusting these things to others who, we don't know who they are yet. That's the third generation. And then they're going to pass them on to others. That's the fourth generation after that. That's what that left-hand chair is for. It's my turn to make place for someone else, to sacrifice for somebody else, to, to be uncomfortable for somebody else, so they can find a place of comfort in the left-hand chair. And here at NBC, we want to make sure we have all three groups represented at our church. We want to be a three-chair church. Three-chair churches honor the past. And they honor those who passed the baton and were faithful who went on before us. And they prepare for and sacrifice for those who are still yet to come in the left-hand chair. Now, here's a sad fact. Some churches are only two-chair churches. You may have passed by some of these churches. Uh, some of these churches you might have passed by it used to be a church, but now it's no longer a church. Now it's a restaurant or now it's a, you know, some sort of store or shop or anything like that. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but sometimes one of the reasons is because they did not prepare a chair on the left for those who would follow. It's very sad. We want to be a three-chair church. We want to reach people and we want to pass along our legacy of gospel faithfulness to the next generation. So where are you as you enter into the swimming pool? Toe in, wade in, dive in. My encouragement to you is today and throughout this series to prayerfully consider taking that next step of faith with us. Maybe you've got your toe in the water. And maybe it's time for you to plug in a little bit more. Maybe it's time to plug into a group or time to check out the membership class or think about wading into the water a little bit. Maybe for some of you, you've already waded into the water. And for you, the next step means actually making that commitment and being willing to dive into covenant membership here. And then some of you, you've already dived in. And you need to make sure that you are using your spiritual gift and that you have found your seat at the table and that God is using you in the mighty way that he wants to use you. Because all of us together make up the vision of Millington. All of us together have a seat at the table, and all of us together are needed to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish in our generation. Find your seat at the table. Let me invite the worship team to come up, and as they do, I just want you to imagine a church full of people who grabbed hold of this vision. I want you to just imagine a church full of people who are making a difference with their spiritual gift and serving God and fully committed and plugged in here. I want you to imagine a church that could impact our community like that. Just dream a little with me today.
And let's be that church. And let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're so very grateful for what you have done here in the past. We recognize that we stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants. We're grateful for what you're doing here now in our midst today. And we're so excited about your work here. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Now, would you find us faithful in our generation? For the sake of those who will come, we, we, we think about what is the faith of the next generation worth? And God, in our eyes, it's worth everything. Our kids, our grandkids, we want to do whatever is necessary, God, to, to further your vision and your gospel in this community. We will be careful, God, when you're at work to, to give you all of the praise and all of the glory for what you want to do. And so I pray, God, as we think about this, you would call us to take our next step with our church body. Help us as a church to arise and help us to fulfill the mission that you've called us to, God. Speak to us, dear Lord, and continue to guide and direct us, we pray, for your sake, Lord Jesus, and for your reputation. Amen. Could you stand as we worship and let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning.